0: To podcast number 13 here on your voice of the arts. Joe Weber, your host, and we've got a show today with a fair amount of comedy in it. I miss Phil Hartman, who was such a wonderful comic actor on Saturday Night Live. We're going to start podcast number 13 with a true classic where Phil Hartman played Key Rock, the unfrozen caveman lawyer.
1: 100,000 years ago, a caveman was out hunting on the frozen wastes when he slipped and fell into a crevasse. In 1988, he was discovered by some scientists and thawed out. He then went to law school and became unfrozen caveman lawyer. He used to be a caveman. Assassin. When you can't bear to put him to sleep, maybe it's time to call Dog Assassin. And by Big Fat Bean, why eat hundreds of little beans when you can eat one big one? And by Clyde Baxter, if you're on his jury, won't you please vote not guilty? Clyde would appreciate it. And now tonight's episode of Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Mr. Keyrock, are you ready to give your summation?
2: It's just Key Rock, Your Honor, and yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Sometimes the honking horns of your traffic make me want to get out of my BMW and run off into the hills, or whatever. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. But there is one thing I do know. When a man, like my client, slips and falls on a sidewalk in front of a public library then he is entitled to no less than two million dollars in compensatory damages and two million dollars in punitive damages thank you
3: the jury will now retire to deliberate
2: your honor we don't need to retire key rocks words are Just as true now as they were in his time.
3: We give him the full amount.
1: Did you hear
3: that, Mr. Keyrock?
2: Hang on a second. I'm sorry, Your Honor. I was listening to the magic voices coming out of this strange modern invention.
1: This has been Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Join us next week for another episode. Here's a scene.
2: Could you get me another drink?
4: I'm sorry, sir, but the chief steward says you've already had enough.
2: But you don't understand. I need this drink. I'm a caveman and I'm frightened by your strange flying machine. So get me another Dewey's and Water Prunch, okay?
4: I'm sorry, sir. Listen, I'll sue you and your whole crummy airline!
1: Next time on Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. <laughs>
3: Just one point of view, we're convinced that no one else likes you. It can't be denied, dear you brought the sun to us. We'd be satisfied, dear, if you'll
0: Me, myself, and I, one of my favorite Billy Holiday tunes. Before that, we heard Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer starring Phil Hartman from an episode many years ago on Saturday Night Live. Up next, we have a New Yorker Shouts and Murmurs piece that goes back to 1999, one of the first pieces I loaded into the library back at 11.90 a.m. WGKA back in Atlanta. As a manufacturing executive for many years, I learned to be very circumspect in how I responded to questions about an employee who was no longer with my company. Honesty, to be perfectly honest, could put you on the wrong end of a lawsuit. No matter how much of a layabout a former employee was, one found it necessary to come up with nice things to say about that individual. The following parody, entitled Letter of Recommendation, was published in the March 22, 1999 edition of the New Yorker magazine in the Shouts and Murmurs section. It was written by a fellow named Kurt Lux. To Whom It May Concern It is my pleasure to recommend Kurt Lux for employment at your company. I have known Kurt for nearly six years and I can honestly say that I have not known any other Kurt for nearly as long. Kurt was with our firm, Pendleton Tool & Die Company, for five and a half of those years. His employment with us ended amicably and by mutual agreement between both parties in the United States Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. In fact, Kurt was so dedicated that he stopped coming in each morning only when his desk was removed and the locks were changed. Every once in a while, I think I see his face behind a ventilation grill. During his tenure with us, Kurt held a number of positions reflecting his range of talents and responsibilities. Administrative assistant, assistant to the administrator, assistant administrator's aide, administering assistant's associate and filing clerk. While it would be an exaggeration to say that he performed all his duties, it would be entirely fair to say that he performed them all equally well. In fact, there was a consistency in tone to Kurt's job performance which I have never before seen in a living employee. Call it an almost supernatural sense of calm. There were times when only a mirror held to Kurt's nostrils would reveal the fiery spirit and pulsing intellect within. I credit Kurt entirely for inspiring the recent overhaul of our Human Resources Department's background checking system. His knack for creative self-expression by which he transformed the three-year stretch in a state reformatory into an MBA from Harvard was a constant source of amusement. While some people can be described as all heart or all head, the best way to describe Kurt is all hands. From a friendly pat on the behind to a friendly pat of butter on the chest, he touched his female colleagues in more ways than most of them had ever heard of. He was close to his male co-workers too. In fact, on several occasions, it took a stun gun to pry them apart. There were a few who had a hard time seeing Kurt's good-natured roughhousing in the proper light, but in my opinion, he never crossed the all-important line between first-degree manslaughter and second-degree murder. I envy the next company that adds Kurt to its payroll. Why? Because hiring Kurt is like getting a free law school education. You may think you understand the First Amendment, but I'll bet you had no idea that an employee has the constitutional right to emit sudden piercing shrieks and deafening bursts of profanity near a fellow worker operating an industrial laser. Kurt also displayed an uncommon willingness and ability to follow instructions. Not my instructions, but rather those he received from the voice in his head. Kurt's influence on everyone in our company was so extensive that there are still employees who won't start their cars without checking under the hood first. You ask how and why Kurt left our company? Unfortunately, a court order prevents me from sharing all the details, but I can say in perfect candor that I heartily recommend Kurt as a resourceful and indefatigable addition to some other firm, any other firm. Sincerely, Thomas R. Pendleton, President, Pendleton Tool & Dye Company. was Billie Holiday singing April in My Heart. Following up on Kurt Luck's wonderful piece in The New Yorker called Letter of Recommendation, I thought we'd go next to Jack Handy's short humor piece in his collection, What I Would Say to the Martians and Other Veiled Threats. This one's called Job Rejection, and it channels an overzealous personnel department that just can't be sure that the person that they didn't hire truly understands that they weren't hired. Job Rejection by Jack Handy Dear Sir, a few days ago you phoned us about the job you applied for with our company, and we told you that you did not get the job. However, we are now writing to inform you that you did not get the job. We wanted to make sure you understood that. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, congratulations. You got the job. That is probably what you were hoping this letter would say, but it doesn't, because you didn't. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, you recently applied for a position with us, but you did not get it, as we have informed you by phone and by mail. However, we have not heard back from you that you completely understand that you failed to get the job. Please call or write and let us know that you realize that you are not employed by us in any way, and never will be. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, please be advised that the person we hired instead of you has been promoted to department manager, and he has asked us to inform you that should a position open up, he would not hire you. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, would you consider taking a job for less pay than we originally discussed, even though we would never offer you such a job? Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, if it is any consolation, we feel that if we had hired you, by now we would have been forced to let you go. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, we are writing to find out what kind of carpeting and curtains you want in your new office. Wait, we made a mistake. You're the wrong person. Oh well, we're going to go ahead and send this letter to you anyway. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, could you report for work first thing Monday morning if you had a job? Just Curious. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, while updating our file of job applications, yours was folded into a paper airplane and was accidentally flown out the window. Would you mind filling out the enclosed application and mailing it back to us in the shape of an airplane? Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, as you may have read in the newspaper, our company has been crippled by a union strike and we have had to call an outside freelance help for which we are paying many times the normal salary. We just thought you should know that. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. Dear Sir, it has come to our attention that an employee in our department has been sending you unauthorized and inappropriate letters. We have told him not only that he is fired, but that we are hiring you in his place. He left here in an uproar, swearing that he was going to find you and crush your head like a walnut. Some of us think he said like a peanut, but most think he said walnut. If he shows up at your apartment, please explain to him that we were just kidding. We would never hire you. Sincerely, the Personnel Department. You've been listening to Job Rejection, written by Jack Handy in a collection of his work called What I Would Say to the Martians. Wow, that is really some nasty personnel department, isn't it? I would have to say my very favorite line from that short piece by Jack Handy is, he said he was going to crush your head like a walnut. Some of us thought he said peanut, but most of us thought walnut. In keeping with the subject of letters of recommendation and personnel departments, we're next going to hear Alec Baldwin do a wonderful job in the film Glengarry Glen Ross as he addresses a sales force that sounds as though it's not pulling its
1: weight. Rich
5: get richer, that's the law of the land. Who belongs to the beam? It is 7.30. So who is that? And where's Mr. Roman? Well, I'm not a leash, so I don't know, do I? Let me have your attention for a moment. Because you're talking about what? You're talking about... bitching about that sale you shot some son of a bitch don't want to buy land somebody don't want what you're selling some broad and trying to screw so forth let's talk about something important are they all here all but one Well, i'm going anyway let's talk about something important put that coffee down coffee's for closers only (laughs) you think i'm fucking with you I am not fucking with you. I'm here from downtown. I'm here from Mitch and Murray. And I'm here on a mission of mercy. Your name's Levine?
4: Yeah.
5: you call yourself a salesman, you son of a bitch? I don't got to listen to this shit. You certainly don't, pal, because the good news is you're fired. The bad news is you've got all you've got just one week to regain your job, starting with tonight, starting with tonight's sit. Oh, have I got your attention now? Good. Because we're adding a little something to this month's sales contest. As you all know, first prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Anybody want to see second prize? Second prize is a set of steak knives. Third prize is you're fired. you fired. They get the picture. Are you laughing now? You got leads. Mitch and Murray paid good money. Get their names to sell them. You can't close the leads you're given. You can't close shit. You are shit. Hit the bricks, pal, and beat it, because you are going out. The
1: leads are weak.
5: The leads are weak. The fucking leads are weak. You are weak. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? Fuck you. That's my name. (laughs) You know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name.
0: I sold and managed salespeople for 30 years, and I can tell you those kind of exhortations are pretty damn ineffective. They caused things like the snafu at Wells Fargo, where under the pressure of an incentive system that rewarded people for the addition of new bank accounts, and the salespeople and the account managers ended up doubling and tripling the number of accounts that an individual opened. It cost Wells Fargo a massive fine and a lot of embarrassment. Let's clear our consciousness of that unpleasantness, so well acted by Alec Baldwin, with Good Morning Heartache, our third Billie Holiday song of the podcast. And by the way, there is a producer that I run into periodically at the Beverly Hills Tennis Club who is working on a biopic about Billie Holiday. I'm looking forward to that one.
3: Good morning, hearty, you old gloomy sight. Good morning, hearty, thought we said goodbye last night. I turned and tossed until it seemed you had gone. But here you are with the dawn. Wish I'd forget you. But you're here to stay. It seems I met you when my love went away. Now, every day I start by saying to you, Good morning, hearty what's new? Stop.
0: following short humor piece from the New Yorker magazine dated November 18, 2013, was written by Simon Rich. It's called A Guy Walks Into a Bar, and it's a reimagining of the well-known, well-worn joke about the 12-inch pianist. Guy Walks Into a Bar by Simon Rich. So a guy walks into a bar one day, and he can't believe his eyes. There in the corner, there's this one foot tall man in a little tuxedo playing a tiny grand piano. The guy asks the bartender, where'd he come from? And the bartender's like, there's a genie in the men's room who grants wishes. So the guy runs into the men's room and sure enough, there's this genie. And the genie's like, your wish is my command. So the guy's like, okay, I wish for world peace. And then there's this big cloud of smoke And then the room fills up with geese. So the guy walks out of the men's room, and he's like, hey, bartender, I think your genie might be hard of hearing. And the bartender's like, no kidding. You think I wished for a 12-inch pianist? So the guy processes this, and he's like, does that mean you wished for a 12-inch penis? And the bartender's like, yeah. Why, what did you wish for? And the guy's like, world peace. So the bartender is understandably ashamed. And the guy orders a beer like everything is normal, but it's obvious that something has changed between him and the bartender. And the bartender's like, I feel like I should explain myself further. And the guy's like, you don't have to. But the bartender continues in a hushed tone, and he's like, I have what's known as penile dysmorphic disorder. Basically, what that means is I fixate on my size. It's not that I'm small down there. I'm actually within the normal range. Whenever I see it, though, I feel inadequate. And the guy feels sorry for him, so he's like, where do you think that comes from? And the bartender's like, I don't know. My dad and I had a tense relationship. He used to cheat on my mom, and I knew it was going on, but I didn't tell her. I think it's wrapped up in that somehow. And the guy's like, have you ever seen anyone about this? And the bartender's like, oh, yeah. I started seeing a therapist four years ago, but she says we've barely scratched the surface. So at around this point, the 12-inch pianist finishes up his sonata, and he walks over to the bar and climbs onto one of the stools, and he's like, Listen, I couldn't help but overhear the end of your conversation. I never told anyone this before, but my dad and I didn't speak the last 10 years of his life. And the bartender's like, tell me more about it. And he pours the pianist a tiny glass of whiskey. And the 12-inch pianist is like, he was a total monster. Beat us all. Told me once I was an accident. And the bartender's like, that's horrible. And the 12-inch pianist shrugs. And he's like, you know what? I'm over it. He always said I wouldn't amount to anything because of my height. Well, now look at me. I'm a professional musician. And the pianist starts to laugh but it's a forced kind of laughter, and you can see the pain behind it. And then he's like, when he was in the hospital, he had one of the nurses call me. I was going to go see him, bought a plane ticket and everything, but before I could make it back to Tampa. And then he starts to cry, and he's like, I just wish I'd had a chance to say goodbye to my old man. And all of a sudden, there's this big cloud of smoke, and a beat-up Plymouth Voyager appears. And the pianist is like, I said old man, not old van. And everybody laughs. And the pianist is like, your genie's hard of hearing. And the bartender says, no kidding. You think I wished for a 12-inch pianist? And as soon as the words leave his lips, he regrets them. Because the pianist is like, oh my god, you didn't really want me. And the bartender's like, no, it's not like that. You know, trying to backpedal. And the pianist smiles ruefully and says, once an accident, always an accident and he drinks all of his whiskey and the bartender's like brian i'm sorry i didn't mean that and the pianist smashes his whiskey glass against the wall and says well i didn't mean that and the bartender's like whoa calm down and the pianist is like you and he's really drunk because he's only one foot tall and so his tolerance for alcohol is extremely low and he's like you asshole you And he starts throwing punches, but he's too small to do any real damage. And eventually, he just collapses in the bartender's arms. And suddenly, he has this revelation. And he's like, my God, I'm just like him. I'm just like him. And he starts weeping. And the bartender's like, no, you're not. You're better than he was. And the pianist is like, that's not true. I'm worthless. And the bartender grabs the pianist by the shoulders and says, damn it, Brian, listen to me. My life was hell before you entered it. Now I look forward to every day. You're so talented and kind, and you light up this whole bar. Hell, you light up my whole life. If I had a second wish, you know what it would be? It would be for you to realize how beautiful you are. And the bartender kisses the pianist on the lips. So the guy who's been watching all this is surprised because he didn't know the bartender was gay. It doesn't bother him. It just catches him off guard, you know. So he goes to the bathroom to give them a little privacy, and there's the genie. So the guy's like, hey genie, you need to get your ears fixed. And the genie's like, who says they're broken? And he opens the door, revealing the happy couple who are kissing and gaining strength from each other. And the guy's like, well done. And then the genie says, that bartender's tiny penis is going to seem huge from the perspective of his one-foot-tall boyfriend. And the graphic nature of the comment kind of kills the moment. And the genie's like, I'm sorry, I should have left that part unsaid. I always do that. I take things too far. And the guy's like, don't worry about it. Let's just grab a beer. It's on me. You've been listening to A Guy Walks Into a Bar, written by Simon Rich in the November 18th, 2013 edition of The New Yorker magazine. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed podcast number 13. I've had a lot of fun putting it together with my producer and helper, Joe Rosenblatt. This is Joe Weber saying so long here from the Voice of the Arts.